Recently, on a Sunday morning, I encouraged our congregation to get involved in what God is doing at Liberty Church. And I said that if you refuse to get involved, if you decide not to deepen your level of discipleship by serving your church and serving your community, then we need your seat. Because I believe God is doing something in these last days, and he needs churches who are about the Father's business. Involvement. And if I can't inspire your involvement, then I'm not doing my job. As a pastor, I am called to equip the people for the work of the ministry. And one of the ways that a pastor equips the people for the work of the ministry is he calls them out of their comfort into a place of commitment. So with that in mind, can we talk? Hey friends, and welcome to From the Pulpit, a series of podcasts based on the Sunday morning sermons at Liberty Church. My name's Pastor Matthew, and I'm thrilled that you decided to join me for this installment of From the Pulpit. ...away on September 7th, 2021. And his passing changed my life. It, uh, it wrecked me in a good way. Um, his passing called me out of my comfort into a place of radical commitment. Some of his last words were, uh, Matthew, it's Jesus only, nothing more nothing less, and nothing else. Um, One of his favorite hymns was, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. His incredible faith remained until his very last breath. And... I wanted to have that kind of faith for myself. That I really took the job seriously. I had the privilege of relying on him and his faith and his passion and his commitment my own? Or was I going to let it uh, pass with him? And I made my decision after a lot of soul searching. Um, I took the first several weeks and months, in fact, to, to do the proper thing, and that was mourn his passing. And then I started into the grieving 
process. And, and, and tears considering the loss that I had experienced. I felt a deep conviction within me. And God impressed upon me these words in that moment. Matthew, if you're just going to go through the motions as a pastor, then I need your pulpit. See, I'm just trying to to live one day at a time. Uh, can't you see that I'm that I'm busy grieving the loss of my dad and my mentor and my friend? And you know, it was it was such a beautiful moment of clarity in the midst of chaos because it was in that moment of intense grief that I was actually able to see that God had indeed called me. He didn't just call my dad to ministry, but he called me as well. And he allowed me the privilege for uh, over 15 years to work alongside of him and be mentored by him and, and to be protected by him. And now it was my turn. It was my turn to, to step up and to play the man. I made my decision. I made my decision. I said, God, I don't want you to take this pulpit from me. I don't want you to take it from me. I actually want to use it the way you want to use it. I want to be the vessel that you use in that pulpit for this moment in history, for such a time as this in Liberty's history. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to play church. I don't want to pretend to be a pastor. I want to be the pastor that you have purposed, that you have called, that you have placed at liberty for this moment in history. And so from that moment, everything changed. Weeks went by, months went by. I never said a word. I never mentioned this to anybody, not even my wife until recently. It was my decision. I had a decision to make, and I made it. And I said something like this, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to obey because, because the faith that my dad had up until the very end, I want for me. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man of God. I want to be someone that you use to expand your kingdom at home and around the world. I don't want to play games anymore. There's enough pastors in churches playing games.
to play games. I want us to be about our Father's business. I want to be building the kingdom. I want to take ground for the kingdom. I want to take back what the enemy has stolen. And so that required a decision, a difficult decision, a decision that immediately made me uncomfortable because I had to step outside of what I had known. I had to step outside of what I preferred. I had to step outside of my preferences so that I could fulfill my purpose. But it's not enough for me to make my decision. You have to make your decision too. The members of Liberty Church and and those who attend Liberty Church, they have to make their decision too. It's not enough for the pastor to decide. The people have to decide as well. And so when I said that statement that was very provocative, you know, if you're not going to get involved, we need your seat. That was me calling the people of Liberty Church, calling its members to action calling them out of their comfort into commitment. I've said this so many times from the pulpit, but it bears repeating here. I will not ask people of this congregation to do something that I'm not willing to do. I'm not going to ask them to do something that I haven't already done myself. And I have made my decision. I have decided to step out of my comfort and into radical commitment to Christ. I've decided to put my preferences aside so that I could fulfill God's purpose for me and for this church, for this moment in our history. That's why you've heard me say in recent months, it's decision time. It's decision time. It's time to make our decision. There's no more time play games. There's no more time to say, maybe later. There's such a sense of urgency within me to the point where I'm saying, God, now or never, now or never, it's time. It's time. And it's time for you. If you're listening to me today, you got to make your decision. Maybe you're not a member of Liberty Church. Maybe you don't attend here. Maybe you attend another church. Uh, It's time for you to make your decision to step out of your comfort and into commitment. It's time to step out of your comfort into your commission. You have been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's the commission of every believer, not just every pastor, but every believer. And if you're a believer, and you haven't made that decision yet, today's the day to decide. It's decision time. You see, we like saying it's decision time when we're looking outside of our four walls at the culture and at the world around us. And we like to tell them that, hey, it's decision time. We love to point the finger at the outsider. But the Bible tells us that judgment Right decisions begin in the household of God. Right decisions don't start in the world, don't start in the culture. Right decision-making starts in the household of God. You got to make your choice. 
You got to make your choice today before it's too late. You see, I'm all about building a legacy. My dad spent his entire life building his legacy of faith and me and my brother and my mother and his grandchildren, we have the task of carrying on that legacy of faith. I remember so distinctly my dad telling me, Matthew, at my funeral, make sure you tell them I love Jesus. Make sure they know how much I loved Jesus. That's what he wanted said about him more than anything else. Make sure they know I love Jesus. Make Jesus big. And so at his funeral, that's what we did. That was, that was his desire, his legacy. That's what he wanted to be known for. And he accomplished that. And since his passing, I've been thinking, what do I want to be known for? What do I want them to say at my funeral? By the grace of God, that's a long way away because I feel like there's lots to do until then. I, I feel like I'm just getting started. But what do I want them to say at my funeral? What do I want my children to say? I thought about that so much in recent months. And I decided that I want people to say that, that Matthew Moss he was a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, mighty man of God. I don't care what else they say at my eulogy. I don't care if they talk about how much I loved the outdoors and camping and canoeing and fishing. I don't care if they talk about how much I loved food. And I don't care if they talk about how much I loved having fun. And I don't care about any of that. I, you know, that'd be nice. And I'm sure those things will be said. But what I want them to say is, he was a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, mighty man of God. He knew what time it was, and he acted accordingly. Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, he's talking about the cost of being a disciple. And he, he uses a hard saying. In verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. I mean, that is a hard saying. If you come to me and you don't hate everybody else, even yourself, then you can't follow me and be my disciple. Now, to be sure, Jesus is not talking about hate in the traditional sense. What I believe he's saying there is if everything else you love doesn't look like hate in comparison to how much you love me, then you can't be my disciple. Listen, 
Nobody loved his wife and his children and his daughter-in-laws and his grandchildren more than my dad. Nobody loved better than him. He was amazing. But I will tell you, as a recipient of that love, that compared to his love for Jesus, his love for me would look like hate because he loved Jesus so much. He was so committed to Jesus, so committed to discipleship, that in comparison to that, everything else that he loved, everyone else that he loved, that love might as well have been hate because his love for Jesus was so big and so strong. And that's how committed I am. That's how committed I desire to be to Jesus, to his cause, to this pulpit. The last thing Liberty Church needs and the last thing Bowmanville needs and the last thing Durham Region needs and Ontario needs and Canada needs is just another placeholder in a pulpit. Our culture, our churches, our families, they need people who are sold out and committed to the cause of Christ, even if it costs them their comfort. They need people who've made their decision to step outside of their comfort into radical commitment to the cause That's what they need. That's what they need. They don't need placeholders. They don't need nice people. They need committed Christians, committed followers of Jesus Christ who will trust and obey because they know that there is no other way to live the life God intended for them than to be sold out 100% committed to what God is doing at home and around the world. I'm reminded of the words of that old chorus, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy of me. I've made my decision to follow Jesus. And I'm not turning back. In fact, that's what the next stanza of that chorus says. Though none go with me, still I will follow. You know, I've had people tell me, uh, Pastor Matthew, the way you're preaching and, and the way you're living, it's going to cost you your friends some of your friends, uh, they're not going to go with you in this. And, and I've had to say, that's okay. Though none go with me, still I will follow. This decision has cost me some friends. This decision has cost me some family members. I have family members who don't talk to me anymore. I have family members who don't like me anymore. They don't like the way I am anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm too committed for them. 
I've been radicalized. I'm a radical white-wing conservative evangelical. They use all those terms to describe me, and not one of them is meant to be a positive. That's all right. You can call me whatever you want, but I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I'm staking my life on it. I'm staking my family on it, and I can do no other. That was with the words of Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, when the leaders in the Catholic Church were telling him to renounce his position and come back to Catholic orthodoxy. And he said, here I stand. I can do no other. I'm reminded of the words of Nehemiah when he came back to Jerusalem and was commissioned by God to rebuild the walls. So many people wanted to get him down off the walls and get him distracted And Nehemiah would say, I am about a good work and I cannot come down. I'm about a good work, guys. You're about a good work. Don't compromise. Don't get comfortable. Stay committed. Stay the course. Though none go with you, still follow Jesus. Follow him. Follow him. Follow him. People to get ready. To prepare. You know, when uh, Jesus performed his first miracle when he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana, when Mary told the people at the wedding feast, do whatever he says, Jesus told them, get jars, get water, and bring them to me. I'm going to do something that only I can do, but I want you to participate with me. I want you to do what you can do. Jesus had mastery over creation down to an elemental level. Jesus was going to change the elemental composition of water into wine. The people at the wedding feast did not have that capability. They had the capability to get jars and water and bring them to Jesus. You know, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he tells his disciples, go and have the people be seated. To me. Because I'm going to do something that only I can do. But I want you to do what you can do. I want you to get prepared. I want you to get ready for what I'm about to do. And it's going to be uncomfortable because you're going to be telling almost 15,000 people to sit down and to sit in groups of a certain size. And you're going to have to tell them that Jesus is going to feed you with five loaves of bread and two fish. And you're going to have to endure their scorn. 
but do it anyway. Because if you do that, I'm going to do what only I can do. And so the disciples did it, and they brought the loaves to Jesus. And, and you probably know the story. Jesus, Jesus blessed the loaves and the fish, and then he gave it back to his disciples, and he said, now you go pass it out. You go show those people that you weren't crazy for believing in me. When you first went around empty-handed and said, sit down and sit down in certain size groups because Jesus is going to feed us, they laughed at you. But now when you go around with, with food enough to feed them, they're not going to laugh at you anymore. That's why Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. It is our good work to be prepared for what God is doing. To be obedient and to do what only we can do so that God can do what only he can do. We need to do what we can do so God can do what he can do. We can't do what God can do. We're fooling ourselves if we think that we can bring revival. Uh, we're fooling ourselves if we think we can, we can grow this church. God is the only one by his sovereignty who can bring revival. God is the only one in his great wisdom that can build his church so that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We are called to be prepared. And so that's why we've instituted uh, you know, our teams that's why we've asked people to get involved, to step outside of their comfort into commitment, to be committed to a team that will serve the church and serve the community. This service deepens our level of discipleship. Blow the roof off the place. If we think God's just going to draw sinners uh, into our sphere of influence so that they can hear the gospel without us being prepared for them, then we're, we're deceiving ourselves. God is only going to do the miraculous when we are committed to that which is ordinary. It's ordinary to sign up for a team and show up and welcome people at the door and pass the offering basket and be a friendly face and mow the lawn and stack chairs and set up tables and serve coffee at the cafe and teach Sunday school. That's ordinary. It's important, but it's ordinary in that we are capable of doing it. But if we refuse to do those things, God's not going to do uh, what he can do because we're not ready for it. One person, 10 talents, and another five, and another one, and the master goes away. And when he returns, he asks for the talents back. And the first two people, well, they invested their talents and they used their talents. 
and they brought the master a return on his investment when he came back. And so because they were faithful with their talents, the master gave them more. He could entrust more to the faithful servants. And to the, to the person that received one talent, well, he went and he buried it. He didn't use it. He didn't invest it. He didn't even do the bare minimum with it. He didn't even put it in a bank to, to accumulate um, interest. He, he buried it. And he did this because he was scared of the master. And he said, I've heard about you, and I, I didn't want to disappoint you and, and lose what you gave me, so I buried it. And, of course, the master took it from that unfaithful servant and gave it to the others. There's so many uh, applications for that parable. One of them being that God has entrusted to us something of great value to him. And what we do with that matters. We can't just sit on it. We can't just, you know, put it aside and wait for him to come back. We've got to do something with it because he's going to look for a return on that investment when he comes back. And so it's so important for us to be about the master's work, to be about the father's business so that we can have something to show for it in the end. So we got to step outside of our comfort into a place of radical commitment. We have to. And if we're prepared, if we do what only we can do, then God will do what only he can do. He will do it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. But we have to be faithful. We have to be committed. We can no longer be comfortable. We have to be committed. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of From the Pulpit. Let us know what you think by leaving a comment in the comment section. Give us a five-star review to help us reach more people. And until next time, never forget, it's Jesus only. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Titus 2.13